Thank you. Man, buckle up. It's going to get real up in here because, uh, <laughs> man, I love, you'll see, you'll see. It's coming. Um, man, Jesus encourages us from, from, the, from Cali this morning all the way through the testimonies today. Um, this message for me today is, is of particular personal importance, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, there's a question that I've struggled with my whole life, um, and I think that, that I am not alone in that struggle, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, um, I, want, I want us to remember how we got to where we are right now. I know I said that last week and probably the week before. Um, and you guys have probably picked up on this, but I'm just moving through this book a verse at a time for the most part. Um, and the Lord spoke that. We're moving through it slowly, and, and for me anyway, God has been speaking incredibly through it, uh, and He's going to do that again today. But I, I want us, because we're moving through it slowly, it's easy to lose track of, of how we got where we are, okay? Because when you read a chunk of Scripture, you see the whole story, the whole context at once. And so I want to take moments each week to bring us back. If you remember, we started this study in the book of Hebrews with this idea. There was a story of a young man. It wasn't a true story, but it was a story to help us get into the setting and the context of this book. That the believers in Rome had lost everything as a ch- when they made that choice to follow Jesus. And so this book is written as an encouragement to those churches, to those believers who had lost everything. Last week specifically, we talked about the fact that Everything is under God's control. And, and it's no mistake that last week we talked about the fact that everything is under God's control. And this week, so many of us have struggled with the fact that it doesn't feel like God is in control. And we all need some encouragement. I am included in that, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That we're in the middle of this transition in the process of the Lord redeeming the world. And, and when we're in that transition, it's uncomfortable, Right, And we're going to address some things today, some misconceptions that the church, especially in North America, holds about what it means to be a believer, about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last year, we've talked a lot about difficulty in life. That is a theme that the Lord has had us in, and it's no accident. 2020 was a tough year. I don't even remember what happened in 2019, but I remember everybody thinking, man, 2020 is going to be the year that everything gets better, and it got way worse, right? So here's hoping for 2021. We'll see what happens. But it brings us back to that question that I want us to attack today, and here's the question. What is going on when in our immediate situation, Christ does not seem to be in control? That's what I want to address today. Last week, we talked about the fact that everything is under God's control, But we also saw in Scripture that while Jesus is back on His throne, everything is not subjected to Him until He returns to the earth. So while big picture it is under God's control, there are so many things in our lives that that don't seem that way. That we have these struggles. Somebody shared with me this morning, I asked them how their week was, and they're like, man, it's been a week. Okay? 
I, I want to talk about some things today that, that I've been struggling with. And, and if you're in my life group, you've, you've, we've talked through this already. Uh, most of you probably saw Bethany's Facebook post, uh, and I'm going to say her name. Ooh, she's not in here. Sweet. I might get away with it. She was diagnosed with um, CVID this week, uh, which, or not this week, several weeks ago, but she got her first treatment this week, which is common variable immune deficiency. What's important for you to understand is that it's very similar to what Mickey is going through, which is specific immune deficiency. And so the treatments were the same. And you guys heard Mickey's testimony about all of the struggles that she has had with her treatment. And so when Bethany gets this diagnosis and I find out that the treatment is the same, my world goes into a tailspin. Now, I'm pretty good at looking like I have it all together. But the week that we shared that with our life group um, during prayer request time, we shared the facts, got it out there, and then I began to pray. And when I got to her, I, I began to cry a little bit. And, and, and then everybody else started to cry. And, and then it got worse. It snowballed on me. And we got home and we were talking about that night. And Bethany was like, yeah, what's up with that? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I just got these emotions. I don't know what to do with them. Because guys, I, in my life, remember our story. Like my wife's already gone through cancer. And so I asked these questions of God. I said, God, why, why us? Why again? I thought we already, am I not faithful enough? Did I not do enough? Now in my mind, I know those things are not true. We understand grace. We know that our actions don't have any determination in how God loves us and how he responds to us. That Jesus' work on the cross is what handled that for us. But in my own life, when I began to see things unravel and it didn't seem like God was in control, I, have, I asked these questions. They're in my heart and I need to say them out loud. And I, I know that I'm not alone in that question. This week, as I'm thinking about this passage, as I'm thinking about what the Lord is trying to say to us, Mickey obviously comes to mind for me. If there was anyone that I could point to in my life that is faithful, it would be her. And yet here she is, and the treatments are not working for her. And she's searching for answers, and my heart is broken for her. I think about people in my life that are having difficult times with relationships, and those go across the spectrum. Some are huge problems and some are, are not so huge problems, but they feel that way. And I think about the heartbreak that I feel when I talk to those people. I think about the emotions that they must be going through. I think about times in my life where it seemed like everything in my life was under control and then all of a sudden, boom, you lose a job. And when you thought everything was making sense, all of a sudden it doesn't make sense. Like the Lord spoke for you to do a thing and you did it and the outcome did not look like success, but it looked like failure. And you say, God, what is going on here? What is happening in my life? I thought I was doing what you asked. Church, in our text last week, we saw that everything's under God's control, but all of us have experienced in some way a moment in our life or probably several moments where it didn't feel that way. Where what we expected to happen didn't happen. So how do we make sense of what Scripture is trying to tell us and what we're experiencing? How do we make sense of the fact that last week the Lord spoke that He is in control of everything and so many of this week felt out of control? What do we do with that information? The church that this letter is written to, found themselves in that same place. 
they are asking God, they're asking Jesus the same question. They're saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you love me and I'm doing everything I can to follow you and everyone that I know and that I love has abandoned me. What do I do? Look with me at verse 8 that we looked at yesterday. Because, uh, or last week, I, I want us to read this last sentence again. The, the B part of this. It says, as it is, we do not see yet see everything subjected to him we're in the middle of this transition and our struggle is in seeing that while it doesn't feel like it in the moment God's already won we know that to be true right we see that in scripture we know that he's going to return but until he does we need his perspective and I know I use that word a lot (laughs) it's not lost in me but God continues to speak that word to me Because what I've found in my own life is when things seem out of control, it's because I'm looking at it from the wrong angle. And it doesn't make the hard things any simpler. I want want you to ask yourself this question this morning, not out loud, in your heart. When life is difficult, where do you normally place your hope? Where is your hope found? And I had to be honest with myself this week in thinking about this passage, and I want you to be honest with yourself as well. Because in, in my life, my hope has often been placed in recovery, right? In, in wellness. When you're struggling with a relationship, your hope is, is normally you're looking for the fix to the problem. When, you're, when you lose a job, when you go through a major life change that was unexpected, your hope is in some semblance of normalcy, right? But I want us to look today at what the author of Hebrews is telling us. And I want us to pay particular attention to the first five words. We will deal with the rest of it. We want to focus on the first five words today because, church, our knee-jerk desire for hope often is the fix to whatever the problem is that's going on in our life. But look at what the author points to it. And keeping in mind... What we just read in the last part of verse 8, that we do not yet see everything subjected to him. So we're going to look at it from that perspective. We don't see everything subjected to him first. And then he goes on to say, but we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus. We do not see everything subjected to him. In our lives, we see things falling apart but we also see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. I want us to pause right here for a moment and I want you to answer this question for yourself. With your specific struggle in mind, whatever that is in your life right now, with your specific struggle in mind, how do you respond in your heart to those first five words? But we do see Jesus. And I want you to think about what this implication is in your life, in your situation. For me, as I'm studying this passage, I'd read a lot, and and I want to share with you some things that I read today. I read a lot of things, and this happens every week. I read a ton of information, and all of it is good, and I want to share all of it with you. But God has given me the directive to focus in on one thing a week. 
And anything that doesn't support that one thing that he wants to say, to push it aside. We'll, we'll talk about it later at another time. But this one thing, as I read this over and over again in my mind, when I went back to Scripture and I read it again, and I'm thinking about my situation, I'm thinking about struggles that my friends are having, that I'm praying about, it, this, this literally set me back in my chair. That the hope that we need, the hope that you need, the hope that I need is to see Jesus. The fix to our problems is not the fix. The hope that we're looking for is not going to be found in those things. The hope that we need is in seeing Jesus. Here's the problem, is that all of us have been trained to look for hope in the world, right? We've been trained to trust specialists, and it's good, I'm not saying that it's not. If you are sick, you should see a doctor and you should listen to what they say. But that's not the place to look for hope. If you're struggling in a relationship, go get counseling. But that is going to help, but it's not hope. One of the commentaries I read this week said this. It said, the answer to our dilemma lies in our perception, there's that word again, of reality and specifically the nature of the Christian faith. It says we're looking in the wrong place for what we need. He goes on to say, for, and I don't know if I put this on the screen, but he says, listen to this church. Feeling better has become more important than finding God. When I read that, I highlighted it and wrote boom next to it. Because that was true in my life. What I wanted was to feel better. But what I needed was God. He goes on to say in that commentary, we have become committed to relieving the pain behind our problems rather than using our pain to wrestle more passionately with the character and purposes of God. Feeling better has become more important than finding God. And worse, church, we assume that people who find God always feel better. That's not been my experience. And I know that it's not been yours. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I felt personally attacked. Like a meme popped in my head. I'm like, what was he? You talking about me right now? Because that's where I was. Church, we are, we are looking for relief, not revelation. When we're looking for hope, we're looking for relief, not revelation. Okay, and since we've already agreed to be honest with ourselves, we all agreed to that a while ago. Whether you believe it or not, you did, okay? Since we've agreed to be honest with ourselves, let's ask another hard question. In your circumstance, what do you really need? What do you really need? The world and its troubles are temporary, church. And therefore, what we really need is to see Jesus because He is everlasting. He is our hope. We need to understand that what we need is to also know that we are not alone. That in our struggles, where we are right now, whatever it is that's going on, that Jesus, his struggles were far greater than ours will ever be because of what he has done. And so when we're sitting in our own little pouty bubble, like I often do, and think nobody else's life is as hard as mine, I need to remember that Jesus is there with me. And that he understands my struggle. He understands my pain. Let's look at the rest of verse 9 real quick. 
It goes on to say, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace we might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Jesus knows greater suffering than we will ever experience because he was separated from his father. He died on a cross and we never will. He understands more than any what it means to truly find comfort. He understands more than any what we really need. Listen, church, this is the point where we have to make a decision about what we're going to believe and what we're going to act on. This is the spot right here. Because when we're going through struggles in our lives, we either have to choose to let our circumstances define our lives or we have to let Jesus define our lives. But we make that decision. We decide where we're going to look for hope, right? We decide where we're going to put our trust. Am I going to put my trust for hope in healing? Am I going to put my hope for trust in a fixed relationship? Am I going to put my my fix for hope in finding a new job? Or am I going to put my trust and hope in the fact that Jesus has already won everything? That the victory is already His and that my life and the difficulties that I'm facing are only temporary. When we have seen Jesus, we know by experience His ability to overcome anything. If you would have asked me two months ago if God could overcome anything, I would tell you yes because my wife doesn't have cancer. But here we are with a new diagnosis, and now I'm going, well, I don't know, maybe not. It's because my hope's in the wrong place. My hope had been put in healing and not in Jesus. In another, same commentary, he said, Yet in these experiences, we walk in the way of Christ, who was persecuted, wept, and died. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his footsteps. And he's pointing back to that phrase he made that I read a while ago. That we assume in the church that when we follow God, that our lives will be better. And that's a bad assumption to make. We have been conditioned by the church to think that if we follow Jesus, life will be easy and nothing bad will ever happen. And that's not true. He's quoting 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, where Peter... Y'all remember we talked about Peter just a minute ago? Did y'all catch that on the, on the kids' thing? Peter said, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then he does. And Jesus meets with him on the beach. Fixes it. Look, if you want to ever fix any problem that you're having with a person, start with breakfast. Just bacon is good, okay? But Jesus meets with him on the beach. He reveals himself. He fixes breakfast. And he says, Peter, do you love me? We've read that story. We've heard that story so many times. And Peter now is saying this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Now, compare what Peter is saying to what we have always thought and believed about difficulties in our lives. That they shouldn't be there, right? We think that our lives should be easy and they should be simple and we should be blessed, right? But that's not what we see in Scripture. When we look at the early church in Scripture, we see people whose lives 
we're certainly blessed, but not in the way that the world would say it. We see people who struggle. We see people who die because of their faith. So I can't speak for your experiences, but I can tell you that when I've chosen to see Jesus in my life rather than the troubles, He has been with me. I know that, church. I, you guys, you know my story, right? You know the things that I've been through. I've shared, I've, been, I've laid myself bare before you. And so why is it, because I know my story, I know what Jesus has done in my life. Why is it that I always respond by looking for hope in the wrong place? That's the question I have to ask myself. And the reason is, is because in my brain, in my heart, I'm still convinced that hope is found here on earth. I'm still convinced that if I just do enough, that Jesus is going to be happy enough to bless my life and so that I don't have to suffer anymore. And it's not true. We know it's not true. I've preached that that's not true. And I, I want to share those things with you today because I want you to see that you and I are not different. Maybe you have a little better handle on that, but I'm no better than you. Pretty sure you all know that already, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. We all have the same struggles. This morning as I was finishing it up, uh, the, the message for today, praying through it, this song came on. I want to read you the lyrics to this. Um, it, it just came out on the, Shane and Shane just covered it. Um, the original author is a guy named Sean Curran. You've probably heard it on the radio already. But when I was just thinking on these things and praying through it, the song came on and the words just connected for me. And I wanted to share the lyrics, some of them with you this morning. It says, you always finish what you start. What you have grown into a garden, you planted in the dark. You always finish what you start. Good things just take a little time. Your hands are working in the soil and bringing me life. Good things just take a little time. I will trust you in the famine. I will bless you in the feast. When I'm standing in your victory, when I'm on my knees, I will praise you at the rising and the setting sun. You're going to catch me singing when the springtime comes. And then the chorus, this story has an empty grave. Jesus, the process is a mystery, but your promise never fades. This story has an empty grave. So what do we do with all this information? What do we do with the fact that we see now that when life is difficult, that our hope is in Jesus? How, how do I, Will, how do I make that transition? How do you make that transition? How do we bring this truth into our lives so that it makes a difference so that the next time I face a trouble, my, my brain doesn't immediately go looking for the fix for the place of hope? And, and how does a person just choose to see Jesus in the difficulties of, of their life? That's like somebody saying, we saw this on a show the other night where a husband says to his wife, calm down. Husbands, if you've never tried it, it doesn't work. It does the opposite. It's like it's backwards day. But I feel like that's what I'm saying to myself and to you when I say that we have to choose to see Jesus. That's what it feels like. So how do we do that? The Lord gave me three things this week. Number one, acknowledge that while significant, your troubles are temporary. At church, it's hard to see that sometimes. It's hard to be in the middle of a, 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 a three-year adoption case and think this is temporary, right? Can I get an amen from the back row? 
Sometimes when you're down in the pit, it's hard to see the reality of where you are. And that is why we need God's perspective, not our own. Second, we need to seek revelation from Jesus. We need to talk to Him. We talked about that last week. When you're going through a hard time, make your first response to say, Jesus, what are you doing in my life right now? Not a, not a what are you doing as in why me, but a what are you doing as in God, let me be involved in this process in some way. Give me some insight onto what you're doing so that I can be aware of what's happening in my life. And number three, walk with Jesus through your suffering. Don't let our first thought be, how do I get out of this? But God, I'm in it. Be with me in it. And being purposeful about inviting him every day. All of us have these struggles. All of us tend to seek hope of recovery rather than revelation. That's just wired into us. But as we've discussed, that doesn't need to be our knee-jerk reaction. If we're going to see Jesus in our circumstance, we need to be reminded that He's with us. We need to be reminded of that regularly. When those curveballs in life show up, we need people around us that can remind us that God's perspective is vastly different from His own. I, I was thinking about how to, how to explain this in a way this morning that would make sense. Ha, have any of you ever seen the sequoia trees in California? Raise your hand if you've seen those. Okay, all right. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a really big pine tree. Okay, you should all probably have seen one of those. Okay, have you ever, this happened for me when we were, I don't remember what the big tree, General Sherman or something in Sequoia National Park. It's massive, massive, massive tree. And when you're standing at the base of that tree, you're still, they got it roped off and you're still maybe 20, 25 feet away from it, but you can't see any of the other trees because of that big tree. And you're in Sequoia National Park. There's millions of these trees. And church, sometimes when difficulties land in our life, they are so big that we can't see the forest because of a tree. And we need somebody that's standing off at a distance going, hey, I know that looks insurmountable, but if you'll just take a 20 steps to the left, you're going to be able to see beyond that. We need those people in our lives. We need people in our life when, when we're struggling. First of all, we need to be honest with where we are with people. Right? When we're struggling, if we're hiding that, nobody can help us. When we're going through a difficulty, share that with the people in your life that you trust. The people that you know that love you. And then what's going to be able to happen is they're going to be able to say to you, Will, I know it seems like this is difficult. But if you'll just be patient, if you'll just walk with the Lord through this, you're going to see the other side of it. Mickey's been that for me in this struggle. That's why I'm so passionate about foster care is because I've been in the forest and not able to see the other trees. And now being on this side of it, I can say to my fellow believers, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I know it seems difficult, but you can get through this. We need that perspective in our lives. At the end of the day, loving our friends and our family enough to get them to the point where they can see all the rest of what God's doing in their life, besides just that one thing, is the best thing that we can ever do for them. It's to show them that Jesus is bigger than the problem that they're facing. I've loved the testimony times in here, and thank you guys so much for sharing this morning, because what you guys have done today is to preach the sermon for me. To say, I had this struggle in my life, and I needed hope, and I found it 
in Jesus. That's the story that all of us have. If you ask me about the difficulties in my life, I can always point back to what Jesus did through that. But when I'm in the middle, or especially the beginning part of something difficult, for some reason those things are just outside of my vision. And what we all need, church, is the people around us to say, I know it's hard. It's not insignificant. But it can get better. Jesus will walk with you through this. We need to see Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you are so um, active in my life. Father, that when I'm struggling, when the people around me are struggling, that you are consistent in bringing a word to me to give me hope. Father, I'm sorry that so often that I seek that hope in other resources, in other places. God, thank you for being patient with me. Father, as we think about this week, the things that we're struggling with, God, give us your perspective. Surround us with people that can encourage us and uplift us and walk with us through those difficult times. God, I I just can't say thank you enough. I'm amazed. I'm blown away by your goodness. Thank you. Amen.